0: people of the internet. You're listening to Debbie Radio, 79.5 FM, a podcast where we discuss the movie gross point blank, one minute at a time. I am your co-host, you David.
1: And I'm your other co-host, Dev. And on today's show, we are looking at Minute 36, which, uh, it continues our, uh, introduction to Paul Sparecki, uh, Martin's friend from high school as he, uh, and Martin head off to, uh, Show a house to some buyers with a decision-making disorder.
0: <laughs> That's a good description. And joining us all of this week on our episodes is David Brooke of Blueprint Review and DCB Productions. Welcome, David.
2: Okay, glad to be here.
0: Fantastic, looking forward to having you on. If we can, if you don't mind me asking, how did you first come across *Gross Point Blank* as a movie?
2: Gross, but Mike, I watched this at the cinema, if I hey! remember correctly. Yes. Thank God, it's uh, not just me. <laughs> I was, yeah, 15 years old at the time. And I was just, <laughs> it was just a nice age where I was really starting to get into films and kind of um, starting to venture out, trying to watch a lot more classics and watch some more interesting stuff at the cinema. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was right in my ballpark, really. And um, mm-hmm. me, I probably went with my brother and uh, a good friend of ours called Jim. We used to always go to the cinema together and uh, i i loved it I, i've loved it since the first time i've seen it um it's yeah it's it, it's just it, it i don't know if you want me to go into more detail about why i love it or no, further feel on, free but... to no you, it's, it's the yeah, introduction for
0: anyone who doesn't know you go for it absolutely yeah
2: no it's um it's and i re-watched it a couple of years ago maybe and i still loved it it's um it, it's, a, it's a film it's one of those films that plays in a lot of genres which can go wrong sometimes it can get messy but I, it, it just gets the balance perfectly right for me it's 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 funny uh, i think the romance is effective and plus it's got some great action scenes and i'm i'm i have a real soft spot for action cinema i'm a big 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 fan of action films um but i watch all sorts so a film like this that jumps into lots of different pools works it works a treat for me so this is a this is a favorite of mine it's a top 100 kind of all-timer for me, it's it, I, I love this film. So, yeah, so I was that's why I was drawn to be on the podcast. I think um I think Jay invited me for who's on a, another podcast. He, he came across it and nudged me in your direction. So um yeah, happy to be here. Fantastic. Yeah, Jay's pointed a, a couple of folks in, in our direction. I've been very glad
1: for because it's it's brought some uh, some folks that are really big fans of of the film itself into it as well as just, you know, we've had a few. Movies by minute staple folks in as well, which has been nice. Um,
0: Basically, but... Dev, you're not alone. <laughs> Super <laughs> mega how, fan. how
1: can I be when this is the greatest film ever made? Obviously,
0: You <laughs> would not be the first time that, this mm. is a, that the film is the greatest film ever made for a handful of us and everyone else just hasn't realised. <laughs> I mean, I'm old enough to remember VHS releases of Blade Runner and Big Trouble in Little China, saving those things from being complete failures financially, mm. you know? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, scary stuff looking back on it and you realise without a home video market. And I think that was that's one of the funny things about this film is it comes out at a time where actually the home video market is arguably seriously competing with cinema. And actually a film like this, while it's designed to be released theatrically and can make its money back theatrically, I am pretty sure this became a staple of video stores and was discovered that way far more than people like ourselves who found it you know you know those of us who found it in the cinema you know i mean that's that's my guess i've never been able to i i don't since i don't work in the industry anymore i can't get at the sales figures to check but i yeah. would love to you know if i go back if i still had access to the database you'd be able to look at the vhs numbers versus the dvd numbers but you know uh, versus blu-ray and it would be very interesting to see what what they were what they were like
2: yeah, yeah, because it, it, is, it is an odd film. It's it's not going to be to everyone's taste. So, yeah, I, I know what you mean. It's definitely a, a kind of word of mouth grower. Mm. um, okay, okay, Cult cult movie, if you want to say. Properly. Um, still, yeah. a, still
0: a properly cult movie. There's no special editions out there. You know, I don't see it. I mean, I guess the occasional screening at the Prince Charles Cinema, but it's not exactly in the, you know, Blues Brothers, everyone sing-along category, is it? You know, it, no. it's very much, uh, this is still proper cult. You know people, you meet someone, they like you, you're like, oh
2: yeah definitely definitely
1: yeah i think it it's it's part of a lot of the films coming out at this time that have this you know there's so many films dropping often they're like this they're not the biggest of budgets they're not hitting the summer blockbuster um people are going to the cinema less at this time home video is you know more readily available vhs rental stores are the thing i know you know i never actually saw this in the cinema Mm -hmm. i i saw it at the rental store and rented it repeatedly and and watched it that way and i think a lot of these films and a lot of the like hollywood pictures caravan pictures films i Mm -hmm. think hit that spot right they didn't get the biggest cinematic releases because you know they were competing with disney productions then they didn't want necessarily to have that direct competition perhaps and Mm. not necessarily in terms of audience but certainly in terms of screen utilization right like these films Mm. aren't going to stay in for weeks and weeks like you know a a big disney movie would um so yeah i mean i think it's it's kind of sad to me thinking about it nowadays that a film like this is never gonna really succeed i don't think right because it's not going to get the presence in the cinema it's not going to get the presence (laughs) on streaming platforms even
0: um Um. i mean that's a good question that's actually kind of what makes this so interesting is i'm not sure a hundred percent anymore because so much of what works on streaming works because it's names that people see so the graphic comes up and it's an actor you know and you go i have not seen that film and i feel like the one thing that has always given this film the edge other than the soundtrack has always been the cast and mm. I think given how much more famous some of these cast members are now, I think you could put together a pretty nifty graphic for streaming. Yeah. I, I was Possibly say, do okay.
2: Yeah. I was going to say, personally, I think it, it, this would, this could be the kind of thing that could come out on streaming. It um, wouldn't necessarily be massive, but, um, mm. but yeah, like you're right, the cast. Um, and because it's a word of mouth type of thing, I think you tend to find some of the streaming films are getting this word of mouth mm. appeal going on. and And it's, and it's not something that's necessarily as much as I love the film, it's not a big cinematic film. It does have a couple like a couple, a couple of the action scenes are quite impressive. Mm. But um, but it's not necessarily something you see and instantly see, wow, I need to see this on the big screen. Um, so personally I think it's it would be it would make a good streaming film. Whether it would be made these days, I don't know. But um it does have a bit of a nineties vibe, but at the same time it doesn't feel that dated to me. Um
1: yeah. Yeah, I think from my perspective, the reason it it wouldn't work in streaming is because of how streaming has changed. Netflix is yeah, not no longer changed. throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah. They true. are also leaving you know not just Netflix but streaming in general are leaving things up for a much shorter period of time. Mm-hmm. So something that's, that's a bit of a slow burn that's not getting any kind of critical acclaim mm-hmm. is that there's not time for that word of mouth to spread unless that's you know true. something happens to go viral. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't have 20 30 of this caliber of movie or this you know, budget size, scope of movie drop in a single year, and that's expect true. half of them to succeed. You yeah, can, you, you might get lucky, and one of them will succeed. Because, you know, stream is is expensive. Leaving content up for stream has clearly just not been the the move that studios are
2: going with now.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, I guess I'm the wrong person to ask. I must admit, I I, I I'm very old school. I haven't really properly properly got into um streaming i, I do okay. well i still i i steal, steal my parents um <laughs> netflix and watch it occasionally and i did <laughs> I, I do have some subscriptions that i got good deals on but i don't really watch it. i think the problem is for me i i am a hoarder i have literally thousands of dvds blu-rays still have mm-hmm. vhs vhs mm-hmm. tapes loads of them and i, I and i have I have too many still unwatched. It's un, it's it's mm-hmm. de- deeply depressing how many unwatched films I have at the moment. Um, yeah. So I just don't need streaming, <laughs> and and it just doesn't. I, I'm I like watching older films. I think streaming is other than like maybe movie and stuff like that. It's um they they're not very good for for kind of classics. They don't usually treat them very well. They don't usually remaster them or anything. And it's That's true. and they don't have much range. Like I like to dig deep and um go to netflix or something there's not really that much a range of classic cinema on there um, Yeah. so for but me I, mean... I, d- I don't really bother with it to be honest I, i'm a bit lost <laughs> I, 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 I just stayed behind
1: <laughs> i honestly think that a lot of the folks that are doing movies by minute podcasts are the kind of people that don't necessarily embrace streaming for a lot of the limitations that you just said right yeah. dvds mm. and blu-rays one of the big selling points for for us i think is all of the extra features mm. the commentary tracks and these movie by minutes are, are kind of a, a super in-depth commentary track from a bunch of rank amateurs that are just yeah. fanboying over a movie, right? Or at least I am. <laughs> um, and and that's something that you you will never get with streaming. I don't think that's ever going to be appealing to um to the platforms to to provide they've tr- disney has tried a little bit with some of its content mm-hmm. but disney also launched into this sector by loudly proclaiming that everything would be evergreen they wouldn't cycle content in and out and then they, <laughs> they realized the finances of it and quickly had to u-turn mm-hmm. and yep. we you know we who already have fairly substantial dvd blu-ray collections are watching this happen and are like you know what I'm going to go back to just buying physical media because mm. it turns out that owning stuff is kind of nice when you actually want to be able to watch it, right? And- so,
0: yeah. I mean, that's, that is the thing, isn't it? That's the thing. Ownership, right? Mm. Like, we're doing this podcast because we all feel we have a personal connection to this film. This film matters to us. It's it, we we There are things about it we appreciate that we don't... Not only don't see in other films, we don't hear other people... Appreciating other films in that way, either like the number of times I read a, a, a review or a comment from someone online or hear from someone when you're seeing us talking about a film and they're, they 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 are dismissing or or or, 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 or uh, criticizing a film on the basis that the film is multi-genre, and I'm like, how is that always? A, how is that a starting point for something being bad? Hmm. Like. You know, did you, have you never seen a Hong Kong film? Do you not know what Bollywood is? Like, literally, in, you know, they call it a masala film for a reason in India, right? These things are mixed. Like... Yes, I agree. We can talk about tonality and we can talk about, you know, where the efe- efficiency of storytelling and does it work? Does it not? Does it help? Does it not? Fine. Great. But to just go, oh, they don't know what they're doing. And so they keep trying to do every genre. Well, maybe they actually want to. <laughs> maybe that's like a thing a film can do. You know, I mean, I know book, I know with, it's the same with books, obviously, and music. You know, you you, you don't hear as much about... I mean, again, part of this is the audience. Part of this is commercial drives, you know, and 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 it's often it, 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 people often say that in the seventies, um, both uh, movies and radio, particularly in America, became uh, much more divided by genre because of the way they were then distributed right radio goes from playing everything into being specific you know soul and a rock channel and a a, a, 60s channel and it all breaks out into these things because that's what the marketing guys want that's what the a and r guys want that's what the the record players but also the studios while they're busy having their moment of you know we've got these young whippersnappers let's give them some money and they'll change cinema and we get all these really cool films we've still got these other mainstream films being churned out and everything starts to get you know we go from having a film that is a detective film that also has a romance in it that also has a car chase in it to this is just a car chase movie that's it mm. that's all we're here for you're going to watch 90 minutes of car smashing like I, I, which i love don't get me wrong but <laughs> you know at that point we're kind of narrowing ourselves down to the, to the point where we are now where you know where you look at the way these streaming services categorize films mm. Mm-hmm. You know, and they would have a, they would have, a, they would just be unable to deal with this film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I can just imagine like going, writing the adjectives and going click, click, click. Oh, actually, it's a, it's a button system, isn't it? For the for the guys who do this for the you sit there and you have to click a whole other of things. And I can just imagine the pain. it would be like every five minutes going, wait, no, it's that. Wait, oh no, and uh, <laughs> and actually, no, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. The point is to try, and have a go at these things and, and construct the tone out of that. And I think this scene that we're looking at is actually a great example of that, right? Cause we've switched from the interrogative, inter- interrogative moment, like, you know, rom-com element that has just been introduced. And now we're in like, you know, coming of age drama, you know, buddy, buddy, uh, just a whole different vibe. Completely, yep. you know, these two guys are like remembering that they're, they're, they're walking and talking, but they're like their teens again, even though they are now comparing things as adults. And it's a very, you know, it was this wasn't the film to a minute ago, literally, this was not the film <laughs> a and a half ago, you know.
2: And that's as I say, that's one thing I love about it. And it's a difficult balance to pull off because I do think, as I say, although I, I am with you, where I do like films that kind of jump around a bit, but um but it can go wrong though sometimes sometimes it can yeah. just be a bit of a jarring mess but um it just i don't know it's, it's hard to put into words how it does it but it, it just jumps it's it just perfectly pitched to me it, it just mm, everything mm. works together Fits.
1: yeah I, I i also in this minute i've i love some of the one-liners that are thrown out there mm. um yes i think i think this minute highlights a couple of of my favorites there the valet parking your high horse is is a phrase (laughs) that i just adore um and and the little you know back and forth about um buying the car from bob to step and Mm -hmm. you know breaking your collarbone and and stealing your girl and it's Mm -hmm. um it it feels super authentic with the probably the least authentic dialogue ever right like this is yeah. it's way too polished it's way too slick it's way too fast it's what you aspire your your uh your back and forths with mates to be but you never quite achieve mm. uh because we're not this erudite or this fast but it, it plays off on
2: screen so so well i think that is one of the things as i say it does have a bit of that kind of 90s vibe and i think that is something that's common in 90s films and um <laughs> especially coming off the success of, of Tarantino and things you get a mm. lot of these very um very scripted films yeah. um witty kind of scripted films mm. and uh you you do find that some films have aged better than others in terms of that sometimes it, they put, it, they try too hard but i do think this this although it's maybe not naturalistic at all but i think because the film is quite heightened is heightened anyway in general it, it works it fits, it fits it fits it fits with the tone mm. um i mean you know, this is, yeah. it
0: is as you say those those there's, 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 there's the, all the great there's so many great quotes from the 90s from indie crime films right and like like i can remember seeing reservoir dogs on a vhs tape that a friend of mine brought back from college in the states and we watched it in his, his place and it hadn't actually hit over here and we were just like just the opening scene you know he and i were just giggling because it's like this is us this is what we're like at the comic store when we're talking about things and then we go and get coffee. You know, what it, it just doesn't turn into violence after that, right? But that dialogue, the, especially the way it overlaps and the way they like one group is discussing this and that group discusses this, and then suddenly they all come together and they start vying and complaining. But it's all about Madonna, and you're like, wait, what? You know, there's a lovely way of undercutting that whole thing. Um, uh, and then but then, but you know. The quotable elements just, just come thick and fast after of that. You know, things to do in Denver when you're dead. You know, I am Godzilla. You are Japan. Or boat drinks, you know. Um, and again, that was, there's a cult movie, you know. I, I remember doing boat drinks to someone at one point and only one person in the room getting in. I was like, yeah, uh, you see, you know the film. Um, and it goes, you work your way through that. You know, usual suspects, you know. There's, there's so much good dialogue in that. Yep. Um, and even something as silly as Conair. Yeah. <laughs> you know Connor in the box that's it that's the line that's the line and of course Cusack's in that as well yeah you know it's one of his rare big big budget forays in that and and I seem to remember him saying somewhere that you know he just did it because he was like oh come on you know everyone else has done one of these things and I could use the money you know and yet when he's in it he somehow makes that agent very much a Cusack character not not million miles away from Martin Blank. Hmm. Like I feel like those guys are like related, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right, Dev, about the the notion of heightened dialogue in the sense that this is the this is literally how we w- wish we sounded, and yeah. none of us are. I mean, it takes me three days to get to that line. I'll be like three days later going, "Oh, yeah, I should have said that." <laughs> um, but also, I don't know. We we've said uh, so. One of the things, David, we we really looked at with the with with getting ready for this podcast, we we managed to dig out an interview from 2012 with the director, uh, written uh, uh, t- a text one. And um, one of the things he said was that they shot three versions, minimum three versions of every scene. They did a take that was serious to the point, the exact words on the page. They did a second take that was the same version but comedy. And then they did a third version which was Go Nuts. Mm. And he then had to assemble the edit, you know, he had to he put together an assembly that was over four hours and then had to somehow cut it down. And I, 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 again, this is this scene is a perfect example of we know Piven's great since then. We know he's got a talent for improv yeah. and for, 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 for kind of just like throwing out the lines until they work. And so I do wonder when Dev said, when you say, you know, is this, <clears throat> this is polished, so I'm wondering how much of that is uh, just them, those two guys having a vibe yeah. while the camera's on.
1: I think in these particular minutes, it's actually quite a lot of it was scripted. Uh, mm. Certainly, the valet park your high horse is in the the version of the script that we have. That, oh, in the that, fourth draft we found. That yeah. Fourth draft. Um, I think the Bob Steplo one is there or thereabouts as well. Mm.
0: Um, but it's. The, uh, but also, I'm getting at the delivery as well, though.
1: The delivery is is what sells it, right? And that's that's yeah. true for yeah. this film. If it was just excellent. Uh, scripting it, it wouldn't get us very far the mm. fact that these two characters are able to do this and i think that does speak to to the fact that they have relationships off screen that i think these two have fit get in films together before and after this right so um you know, you know this was not the first time um, you know, and i, I think
0: know.
1: It, I, th- I think they have um, i'm
0: going to have a look i'll have a look while you're talking go
1: but that relationship sells in a way that I think Kusak's relationship with um, Dan Aykroyd
2: doesn't quite as well. Um, oh, but, yeah, I suppose. They're looking at that. Yeah, although they're supposed to, yeah. Oh, I can say they're kind of enemies, but I guess they do know each other. But yeah, although Yes. Love, I love their scenes together, though. Right. So, and I, and I think it has a different feel.
1: It does. And I think it works because yeah, of yeah. The, the relationship they're meant to have. But I think part mm. of it is born out of maybe they don't know each other in real life quite as well. And so mm. they are a little bit more standoffish. Maybe they don't click mm. quite as well. And that plays well into the movie to have them kind of at odds. But, yeah. you know, th- there's definitely implications that they have a very working relationship in the film at times, right? Yeah. Mm. You know, mm. they've, they've worked together on projects in the past.
2: Yeah.
0: Hmm. Mm. I, I mean, is that... Do we think? I mean, I don't know. Is, I'm wondering if that's a function of Cusack producing the film and having a say in, you know, who's in it and, and how yeah. it all comes together.
2: Maybe,
1: I think yeah. so. Yeah, and I think you know, I think Dan Aykroyd was probably brought on board first and foremost for the name, yeah. um, and I think the the role may have been shoehorned in a bit. You know, I think there's definitely some elements of his character being possibly too over the top for for the tone of the film at Mm -hmm. times and Mm -hmm. it's Dan Aykroyd so you you kind of don't care because you 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 see his face and you kind of expect that and I
2: do love his scenes I don't know I (laughs) I, I know what you mean they are over the top but I don't I don't care I I like that and and, yeah it's you're right as you say you mentioned about John John Cusack um producing and maybe having a hand in casting as well when you look Mm -hmm. as well there's quite a few Cusacks in the film so yeah um, so he must have had some kind of some kind of say in who's in it yeah well, it is it is interesting how there's um uh, there's three q sets is there a fourth i i see i'm sure watching the credits the other day there was a fourth but I might be wrong but um it's interesting though that none of the none of them play family members at all like but uh, yeah yeah, yeah. It,
0: it, they're definitely cast you know i mean it is one of those things isn't it where um i i i often feel looking back on films that like if you didn't know. Joan Cusack was related to him. You would not guess from the majority of the films that they have done either together. You know what I mean? There's like <clears throat> she's just a, she's just such a good actress. But he also he's once he he created a certain. I mean, you know, there's there's definitely a, a Cusack character kind of thing going on. You know, in terms of baggage he pulls from other films, and also the way he carries himself, and um, you know the, the, his the way he likes to deliver lines. And so I do what I do. I think, it, as you say, yeah, they, they, it's kind of interesting that they do that and um, he does that, and you, you're so, and you don't notice really until you start looking at the, the, the cast list. Uh, I'm just skipping th- quick, quickly through uh, Piven's uh, career. Yeah. So interesting.
1: They did interesting- The Grifters before this
0: together. Yes, and, and of course The Grifters was big for both of them, even though it was not yeah. a huge film. Um, and then they did and, and then Serendipity voice. afterwards. So, yeah, serendipity, oh, yeah, I serendipity think so, as I well. the other one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then in an entourage, as you say. Yeah. So yeah, obviously connected, obviously know each other well. Um, I would not be surprised if you know they were friends all the way in between as well. You know, from from grifters to front blank.
2: Mm. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah,
1: um, and then they're in. Uh, they're both in Runaway Jury as well. So. Oh it's, yes. It's quite a long, long you know period of the two of them acting on on screen together. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I just, yeah, had, I just,
0: I've had two separate sets of friends dissing Runaway Jury on Facebook recently, and I was like, guys, come mm-hmm. on, just give it a break.
1: I, I, I actually love that film, and I kind of want to watch yeah, it again. I need I think to it's dig fun. it out. I need to <laughs> it. Out. I think all
0: the all the Grisham adaptations have something going for them. You know, they all vary. Worth in quality,
2: watching, but... usually. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: I don't know. I think I think these. I think people coming to it late are going in with different expectations. Not because because nobody seems to know Grisham anymore as a Mm -hmm. writer, but even though he's still a big, a bit a best-selling author, but everyone seems to, everyone I know on Facebook on in these in these sort of conversations is usually a film fan. So they're they're coming at it because Mm -hmm. the director and the stars, and they don't really know how the genre that
2: subgenre works of, of of legal thriller it was so big for a while it's crazy i remember so, yeah. I, don't th- I don't think i've seen that one actually i was trying to rem- i was trying to think did he blend into one sometimes yeah but, um, yeah and the runaway jury was quite a bit time, later like, than most uh, of them yeah yeah it was the firm and, yeah.
1: and pelican brief came a fair bit earlier yeah mm. um, those are
0: the first two mm.
1: so the the latter part of this minute we we cut to um mm-hmm. paul paul showing the house around there's not a mm-hmm. huge amount i think Content-wise, here I'm wondering if we should uh, maybe be a little flexible with our timings <laughs> and, and speak to this in the
0: next minute tomorrow. Um, yeah, that sounds good. I mean, I think the only thing, I, the only other thing I want to bring up in this minute is before we get to the house, is the idea of driving a BMW in Detroit. That that cracks mm-hmm. me up no end. You know, There's the, the, quite a few that the, the Detroit
2: the... mentions in there at the end of the film. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And
1: it's yeah, I think it's very true to the time period, right? Because mm-hmm. this is really when motown was suffering the most uh i mean yeah may not have gotten much better recently but um you know this was up
0: and down (laughs) that
1: point of of down 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 right so yeah uh paul is driving a beamer uh debbie we find out later drives a saab Uh, Mm um you know ironically the guy that left town is the only one driving an american-made auto yeah (laughs) Um, and that may only be a rental if depending on, on that debate that we've been having for this entire series <laughs> so far. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, it, I love it, how that know, has become an ongoing
0: thing, hasn't it? Does he rent? Does he not rent? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, yeah, the success, you know, the marker of success for, for Gross Point seems to be that you're not stuck driving an American-made car at this point. Mm-hmm. You
0: know? Yeah, very much so. Very, very nifty little touch to a film that ultimately is all you know carries the Detroit element quite proudly despite having been completely made in Los Angeles (laughs) Um, but there you go
1: so this was minute 36 of the Gross Point Blank podcast Debbie Radio 79.5 FM featuring your hosts, co-writers and co-producers, myself Dev Sodiger,
2: and my buddy here Hugh David
0: today's guest David Brooke, David where can people find you on the internet if they're looking for you
2: uh, they can find me on blueprintreview.co.uk. Yeah.
0: Okay, and if they want to reach out and talk to you, your contact details well, are there contact details there, as it were? Uh,
2: yeah, yeah. You can usually find us on there, and there'll be links to our, our Facebook and Twitter and all well, X, whatever you want to call it, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fantastic.
0: <laughs> yeah, what do we call it now? <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs>
0: so you can find us at all good, good podcast players, including the one you found this episode that you're listening to on, as well as YouTube X. AKA formerly known as Twitter and Spotify. In all cases, our handle is Debbie Radio at Debbie Radio, D E B I Radio. Our own website is also debbieradio.com. Once more for all of those, D E B I Radio.
1: And if you want to talk with us or talk about the movie, you can join us on our Facebook listeners group, Debbie Radio 79.5 FM Fan Club. And like with the others, it is D E B I. Sure was clear that all of this was new, concentrating hard like a little girl smoking for
0: the first time. It wasn't a moment, it was a feeling of mood.